This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. And can be found on page 812 in the Black Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, welcome. We are glad that you are here. Uh, Let me highlight something really quick before I get into my uh, manuscript. You might have received one of these on the way in. Uh, This season of prayer and fasting is only going to be 10 days. So starting today through till next Tuesday, um, I'd love for the members of the church and different attenders of the church to grab one of these cards, maybe grab five of them and put them in different places in your car or your house. Maybe even with something that says fasting on it, put it on your dining room table and even at dinner, pray for one of the things that are listed on the back. So it can be a reminder, and you can even just flip it over and see, hey, pray that God would strengthen our church and strengthen our faith. Pray for salvations in the communities that are represented in this room. Pray that God would stir our zeal and give clear direction to our leaders for the next season of our church, and pray for an overflow of spiritual and financial resources. This is how I want us to pray launching into 2023. Um, Take a handful of these, put them on your fridge, uh, put them in your car, put them in your wallet. And then just take a minute in the next 10 days, skip one meal, or just take a focused 15-minute chunk of your week and just pray for these things that are right on the back. Okay? just want to highlight that because we only have two Sundays because this season is very short. 10 days. All right. With that, let me say that... Uh, from Matthew six nineteen through to today's text, there have been multiple, multiple, multiple moments when we are invited through the words of Jesus to view God as a loving and generous and attentive Father. The argument, the, the argument structure that Jesus uses has a technical name. 
When Jesus says, your father puts clothing on the flowers that is better than the richest and best clothes that human beings can come up with, right? When he says, your father already provides for them and he explains that you are of much more value to him than the flowers. So obviously, obviously, that's the point. You don't need to worry about clothes, Or when Jesus says, your father feeds the birds and they don't even labor or toil or store up food, but he takes care of them and he feeds them. So obviously, obviously you don't have to worry about food. You're much more valuable than the birds. The argument structure is from the lesser to the greater. It's called an a fortiori argument. And the way it works is really plain and simple. Let me illustrate it for you. If you come to me, if you come to me and ask me, hey, Mark, can I borrow your car? Can I borrow your car to take on a road trip? Can I borrow your car to take on a road trip across the country? And I say, sure, go for it. And then you come back to me weeks later after you've returned my vehicle safe and sound. You come back to me weeks later and you say, hey, do you think I can borrow a pencil? Is that that okay? I know you're, it's kind of, are you going to be all right with that? Can I borrow your lawnmower after you just borrowed my car to take across the country? That is a silly question. That's what we should be thinking here in these moments. We should be seeing the silliness of our own resistance to receive the goodness and kindness of a loving father. That's the thrust of what Jesus is explaining. And friends, a car and a pencil, a car and a pencil are closer in value than you are with birds or flowers. Regarding the love of God, a car, a brand new fancy car and a pencil have more in common than you do with the rest of creation. So the problem here isn't the facts. It isn't the explanation. The problem is that we tend not to believe Jesus. We know that we don't believe him because we think that God is stingy. We view him as a landlord or a tyrant, or we even have the gall to believe that we are kinder or more generous than he is. These arguments that Jesus makes, these lesser to the greater arguments, much of the time don't have the kind of impact that they should or that they could, that they could in our lives. And they don't have the right effect because we perceive the Father to be much different than the way that Jesus describes him in texts just like the one that we have today. Um, I, grew up, I grew up in Missouri, Missouri is the show me state. And that phrase comes from the sentiment that we Missourians, apparently, we won't believe something until we see it, until we see it. But that phrase is kind of a misnomer or a misunderstanding because perception research, and this really shouldn't surprise us, perception research shows us that seeing isn't believing so much as we see what we believe. We see what we believe. As humans, we see what we believe. So if you don't believe Jesus, 
It's because you perceive God to be something other than what he says about himself and what Jesus says about the Father and what the scriptures say about him. We, we have warped ideas about what we need. We have warped ideas about what's good for us. Let me read a quick parable from Luke 16 that really is about the essence of this kind of unbelief. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with all that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in cool water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame." But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said back to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. Our unbelief is birthed out of our own stubbornness and hardness of heart, not for lack of evidence. Jesus is claiming in these verses that the evidence abounds, that the evidence is everywhere. It's all around us. What kind of father is God? It's all around us and still we miss it. We ignore it and we definitely don't let it sink to the bottom of our hearts and change how we see him. So I want to challenge our impulse to see God in the wrong way today. I want to, I want you to take a risk and and challenge yourself this morning right now and ask yourself, how do I see, how do I perceive God? What is my perception of the Father? Do I see him as loving? Do I see him as generous? Do I see him as an attentive Father? This morning, can we get real with our own hearts and ask that question? Don't lie to yourself. How do you see God? And is that perception true? Because if we don't see him as Jesus presents him in these verses, then we have work to do. Then we have work to do. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to see you for who you truly are by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Heavenly Father, 
Would you open our eyes to see you for who you truly are by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning? Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes and hearts this morning to get a glimpse of who you really are by the power of your Spirit. We long, we long to have eyes that see rightly. So would you come do surgery? Would you come give us glasses? Would you come change our optics? Would you help us this morning by the power of your Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, this section of the sermon can read a lot like just a list of kind of proverbs or sayings, uh, but they're connected and they're cohesive. And this morning, I'm going to take sections of our text and focus on them individually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with verses 7 and 8, and then I'm going to move to 9 and 11. And then finally, we're going to finish our time by trying to absorb the golden rule. Verse 12. We're going to finish our time by trying to absorb Jesus' instruction in the golden rule. So first let me read verses 7 and 8 again. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. We can stop right there and we can ask a couple questions first. Because I know that you are busy. You're busy. I'm busy. Joe Biden is busy. And we're busy with all kinds of different things in our lives. But what are they? What are we frantic for? What are we hustling for? What do you labor and toil for? Why do you get up early and why do you stay up late? I want to point out that that's a natural disposition in the human soul to be asking and seeking and knocking somewhere already. We are constantly in a mode of pursuit. We constantly have our eyes down and we're running after fully resourced and fully funded pursuits in our lives already. Even the lazy person is a busy person, busy satisfying the desires that have captured his heart. And here Jesus makes a promise. Do you want to know God? Do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Do you want to know the excellencies of Christ more and deeper? Then this promise is directed to you this morning. I dare say that the issue is not with the responder. The problem isn't with the giver. The problem isn't with the door knocker. The problem, my problem, your problem, is that we're captivated already. We're arrested, heart and soul, with what this life has to offer us. The problem is not that God doesn't open the door. The problem is that we are not interested in knocking. Or we're really busy knocking on other doors already. That's the overarching exhortation that I want to make about these first few verses. And I want us to start far enough back to truly be honest with ourselves. Let's not... We don't have to tell lies in church. You see, this text is fascinating because of what it exposes in us. Let me ask it this way. Let me ask it this way. When Jesus makes this kind of promise right here, what beef 
do you have with the promise? What beef do you have with his promise? When Jesus lays it out there, plain and simple, what kind of bristling resistance do you have in your heart? Jesus says, do you want it? Then ask. Do you want something? Then look for it. Do you need something from God? Then knock on his door. What kind of problem do we have with that promise? And I can think of three pretty easily. The first one is we tend to be so full that we just don't care. We don't care. We don't care. The second one is that we can become bitter or cynical when we hear this promise. And the third one is that we ask for the wrong things. We can be perfectly happy to be distracted. We can be perfectly happy to be anesthetized. We're perfectly happy being lulled to sleep with the intoxicating lullabies of Netflix or our 401k or our financial portfolio or our families. Can we just start there as a church and be honest honest enough to admit that we don't Many times we don't care enough to ask or seek or knock. There are plenty of distractions in our lives that will light up the pleasure centers of our brains right here in our pockets. What do you need? What do you need from the living God anyways? What do you need from God that you can't get on Amazon? The first reason that we don't ask and seek and knock is because our appetites for true food and true drink have been spoiled by the sugary offerings of the world. So stop right now in your seats and think. Take a moment to exercise your imagination. If you could ask God for anything right now, what would it be? God offered that kind of... God offered that kind of opportunity to King Solomon and he asked for wisdom. What kind of deep and rich and full reality do you want to see manifested and realized in your life that only God can orchestrate and architect and manifest? And I'm not talking about God being your genie. I'm not talking about a bigger pool or a million dollars or whatever shallow or vapid things that the world can offer us. I'm asking, what do you want? What do you long for? What do you want to see God do in your life? Do you want to see him save your children? Do you want to see your sexual sin defeated? Do you want to taste and see the goodness of God? Do you want to be free from envy, free from anxiety? Do you want more, more of God's fullness? Why don't we ask more? Don't grow weary, the scripture says, in doing good. And also, don't grow weary in asking for holy and good things from God. Don't let yourself be distracted or deluded into believing that a shallow life built on sand is all that God offers you. Don't let yourself not care. Start there. Start there this morning. If you have to, God I neglect your glory all 
the time. I neglect you daily. I love my stuff more than I love you. I love my money more than I love you. Would you forgive me and grow my desire, grow my capacity to delight in you for all the glorious realities that you are? Would you help me want to want the right things? Would you wake up longings inside me for you to enjoy you, to ask and seek and knock for more of what only you have to offer? Another reason we don't ask is that we might have become bitter or we might have become cynical with God. In my own life, I know that I struggle with a kind of um, skeptical Cynicism. I don't know why, but I've, it's, it's one of my unique struggles in this life. My, my unbelief comes out in a kind of sarcastic internal pouting. And let me tell you one story that illustrates this. When, I, when it came time for, for kids in the Crow home, my wife and I, we prayed and we asked God for children and after about six or seven or eight months, I can't remember exactly, Rochelle became pregnant and we were elated. We were overjoyed. There's a few different reasons uh, for uh, our story. We got married a little bit later in life, but for some reason there are a few different kinds of like um, skeptical kind of doubts about what, what God had in store for us. But she became pregnant. And then five weeks into that pregnancy, I got the kind of phone call that nobody wants to get. I got a call to come home right now because we had lost the baby. Rochelle had been on the phone with her doctor and she'd been on the phone with a few trusted friends and it had, been, had become really, really clear what exactly was happening and we held each other and, and we wept. And then a couple days later, I was with a friend and he was asking me how I was doing with this tragedy and I was honest with him. And I told him what was going through my heart at that time. And what was going through my heart sounded something like this. Why do we even hope for this in the first place? Why do we even get our hopes up? In my heart, I was saying, I knew it. I knew this kind of thing was going to happen. I knew that this was too good to be true. Things like figures. Figures. This is what I deserve. You see, in that moment, what was being exposed in my heart was a version of the gospel that I was believing that was not true. In my heart, I was believing that God gives That God gives good things to good people and bad things to bad people. And I'm a bad person, so I get bad things. I've committed too many ugly sins in my life and I have too many ugly regrets. And that's why this happened. Why even try? Why even try? And that's an attitude that can hold us back from asking and seeking and knocking Sometimes we don't knock and we don't ask and we don't seek because we're bitter or we're believing a lie. We are believing a lie and we think that God's like us. 
We think that he would use our desperation to get back at us. But that's not what this text says. Think for a second. Let your, let, your, uh, let your pastor give you permission to be super honest right now. Think about the places that you fail as a parent, that you fail as a father or a mother. Think about the places that you fail as a friend. Think about the really dark days when you know that you were just ugly or mean to your kids or you were irritated with your children. God doesn't have those kind of days. He doesn't. He isn't like you and he isn't like me in that way. We yell or we see our kids as an inconvenience or a problem or a cross to bear, which they aren't. They are a blessing straight from the hand of God to you. But God's not like us. He isn't counting up all your sins and deciding how much love he will or won't give you. He isn't counting up all your failures and holding back himself from you until you get it right. I understand the dynamics of cynicism and how they work. It, it pretends to be a defense, a defense against loss or disappointment, but it's an impoverished and untrue way to relate to your heavenly father because he loves you. He loves you. And the last reason that we don't, that we don't care about seeking is that we ask for the wrong things. See, God either says no when we ask for something, or he says yes, or he says not right now. If you don't get what you're seeking, it's because he doesn't want you to have it, at least not right now or not in this way. But God only gives good gifts, and we tend to ask for the wrong things, James says. In the book of James, he lets us know that we ask and we do not receive because we ask wrongly to spend on our passions. And we should take a second here to let this reality sink down deep because I want to ask how many people in this room are just unbelievably grateful for times that God told you no? Can you look back at your life and see what amazing grace it was for God to tell you no what God was doing in your life when he said, no way, that wouldn't be good for you. Good fathers know when to say no, and God's no different. So ask, seek, knock, because God's doing his work in the midst of your asking and in the midst of your seeking and in the midst of your longing and knocking. And he promises to give good gifts. And often we don't understand what's truly good for us. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, another reason that we don't ask or seek or knock is if we're honest, we just don't believe that God's a good Father. And that's the only point I want to make out of these verses. I want to ask, how do you see God? Because this text will help you understand how you see him if you aren't already aware. This text ministers to my soul often. 
I struggle deeply with believing this. I don't know why, but I have to rehearse these verses to myself often. They are a constant encouragement to me. Christmas, Christmas wasn't very far away, so let me take a Christmas uh, illustration this morning. How many of you had an aunt or an uncle growing up, or maybe, maybe this was your own parents, I don't know, but, but someone gave you a gift regularly during Christmas, and you would gear up for Christmas. You'd gear up for Christmas morning. You'd be stoked, full of anticipation. You'd stack all the presents you were going to open right in front, and then you'd pick, them, you'd pick up one from Aunt Thelma or Gertrude, and you'd rip it open only to find, again, she gave you black dress socks. Another pair. Thanks, Aunt Thelma. Now, there's nothing wrong with black dress socks. But for most young boys, dress socks and the word gift don't exist in the same universe. And for some reason in my life, I have this deep impulse to believe that God only gives necessary things. He only gives practical gifts. He doesn't give fun gifts. Deep in me, there's this assumption that God doesn't really enjoy seeing me enjoy the gifts that he gives me in in this life. Like God only gives medicine. He never gives candy. Or God only gives vegetables. He never ever gives dessert. But that is not a biblical picture. Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine, buy milk, without money and without cost. Those are rich, delicious realities. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread or your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good because he's the one that has it. And delight yourself in abundance. Abundance does not sound like holding your nose and choking down some kale. Psalm 63 says, My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. Fat is flavor. Marrow is richness. Rich, like chocolate is rich. This is the tastiest of tasty food being offered to us over and over and over again. The scripture talks about the abundant and delicious food that God alone can give you. Clean, cold water to those that are dying of thirst. Delicious food to those that are starving to death. And that's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to accept, but that's how good he is. Jesus, again, is using the same kind of argument structure that I highlighted highlighted at the beginning. If you are evil and you still know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more does God know how to do this? How much? How much do we believe that? Parents, how many of you nailed it? How many of you just crushed it out of the park at Christmas, you knew, you just knew what would make your kids lose their minds, right? What would make them make one of those 
viral YouTube videos where kids like pass out or something because they got a pony or a skateboard. That's, that's always our goal as gift givers. Well, think about how that applies to this text. You know, you know how to find the kind of gift that your kids just lose it over. How much higher and smarter and more creative is God than you are? You see, the problem isn't with the gifts he gives. The issue is that we want the wrong things. We want measly, worldly gifts that don't last or that are shallow or fleeting. But God's interested in transforming us. God's interested in giving you the kind of gifts that only someone as good as God would give you. He's way better at the gift game than we are. The hard part is believing that and then aligning our hearts with that truth. Listen, God doesn't play tricks on you. He doesn't treat us like a mean, abusive father might. He doesn't. If you ask him for something good, he isn't going to trick you and give you a snake and let it bite you and then laugh at your pain or delight in your misery. No, he doesn't. God does give us difficult roads to walk down. But the point of this text is that if we only see the challenges of our life as stones or serpents, then we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Read. Spend time and go and read about saints in the history of the church that have suffered greatly. Read about great godly men, great godly women that have suffered pains and abuses that are completely unintelligible for people in the modern West. And read about their attitudes towards suffering and hardship. They know, they know what a good and kind gift their suffering is to them from the hand of a good father. Read missionary biographies and let allow a holy jealousy of what they have rise up inside your heart and give you a vision for how to walk through the trials of your life now. They're gifts to you. Men, men in this room right now who have experienced deep and profound failure in this life, they know what a profound gift it is to crush their pride to the ground. They know. The Bible makes it clear. Suffering is not a snake. Luxury is much more dangerous than suffering for the Christian life. The exhortation here is to allow your perception to be shaped by changing what you believe. If you see God as a tyrant or a trickster, could it be that you reject a biblical picture of, 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 of man? Do you start with a presupposition that mankind is basically good instead of evil? If you have a hard time with seeing God as a good father, I appeal to you to get a clear picture. I appeal to you to get your eyes checked. You need the spectacles, the glasses of the scriptures to correct the issues with your vision so that you can see rightly, so that you can see God rightly, so you can see yourself rightly. And once you see that, you begin to little by little understand just how good of a good father God truly is. 
Try practicing this, even in our church, in real time. Find an older, godly person in our church, someone that you respect or someone that looks like someone that you want to emulate, and ask them to tell you about God's goodness in suffering. Ask an older man or an older woman in this church, just walk up to them and say it. Say, tell me about how God was good to you when you suffered. Ask them how God was loving them in the midst of pain or a hard season in their life. They won't let you down. They won't let you down. I am sure of it. Ask them if their pain or suffering taught them something beautiful about who God is and just the lengths that he will go to to capture their hearts. If you ask for bread or if you ask for fish, God is not interested in giving you stones or snakes, but he will give you something that's even better than what you're asking for. That's the promise. Ask, seek, knock. You might not get exactly what you're asking for, but you will always get something good for you. We ask for far too little, and God's grace to us is that he gives much, much more than we could hope or imagine. Lastly, for this morning, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I want this to function as our main application today. So I want to ask a request of everyone in this room. I want to ask, can you think of some sort of reality in your life that is challenging for you right now? Can you think of a relationship that is really challenging for you in your life? And I want us to apply this text, which means we need to think of an area of difficulty or challenge or tension in our lives. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to put it to work and think of a relationship that you can apply the golden rule to. That's the, I want you to think of a place where it would really cost and it would be challenging to practice it. Where you hit a bristling resistance in your heart to the idea of applying the words of Jesus. Perhaps you haven't talked to your neighbor after you got into a, a boundary dispute over your lawn. Maybe you haven't spoken with your mother or father or brother or sister or a brother or sister in the church for a long time because there was a falling out. Maybe you have a relationship that has been strained in your life and it's actually because you're the one that's been wronged. And I just want to imagine, I just want us to imagine what it would take and what it would sound like to obey the words of Jesus in that particular challenging instance. This reminds me of another place in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So whatever 
Whatever you wish someone would do for you, do also for them and to them. But if you do this only for people who love you, what reward do you have? Do it for those who treat you poorly. Do it for people who are even in the wrong. Try to find a fractured relationship and maybe gulp and swallow a little pride and take the first step towards reconciliation. Find a situation where it stings just a little bit, just a little bit, and try to apply Jesus' words and then trust him enough to get you through it. The only way to do this, the only way to do this is by understanding the reason, the reason that we don't want to. You see, your ability and proficiency at applying the golden rule, at applying the instructions of Jesus from this text, has way more to do with you and God than it does with you and that other person. Jesus says it elsewhere that the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the only way to do it. It's only possible to love others this way if we first are loving God this way. And the hang-ups, the obstacles in your heart, the resistance and the pressure that you hit when you try to apply this scripture, the things inside you and the excuses that you make so that you don't have to apply this scripture, those excuses are issues that exist between you and God way more than you and whoever. So take that opportunity to lean on your heavenly father even more than you have in the past. What is your attitude? What is my attitude about trying to love someone difficult in my life say about what I believe about God as, as my father? What are you believing about God that isn't true? What are you not believing about God that is true? Remember, your heavenly father won't give you a rock if you ask for bread. Things might not go exactly as you hoped they would. That's definitely a risk. But he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. He promises that he's up to something. And when you lean on this kind of father, it is never a risk. Never. If you belong to him, he's your father. He's your father. He'll be good to you. Even say, even, even dare I say, he will be good to you, especially when things don't go the way you hope or things get more difficult. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we move in this section of our service to take communion, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Think of the power of the reality of the symbol that we walk out every single Sunday at communion. The cross of Christ, his crushed body and his shed blood is the ultimate lesser to the greater argument in the scriptures. We sang it today. If God did not spare his own son, then what is he holding out on us for? What won't he give us? If you believe that this morning, you're a Christian, we invite you to take communion. The way we do that here is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware cups are wine and the glassware is juice. We'll have stations in the front. We'll have station in the balcony. And then we'll also have a station to my left that is gluten-free and single serve where we have um, juice and a wafer kind of nested into cups. We also have prayer ministers who would love to pray for anybody about anything, anytime, that are always here at the end of the service underneath the stained glass window over here to my left. Communion at Redeemer Fellowship is open to anybody who puts all of their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe that this morning, I invite you to pray maybe for the first time and look to God as someone instead of a tyrant or a judge or a landlord or a boss, look to him maybe as a first time as your heavenly father through Christ. I'm going to pray for us as the servers come up and when I'm done, we all can partake. So would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your broken body. Would you help us this morning to eat in faith? Would you use the meal to strengthen our faith? And remember, this broken body and this shed blood should orient how we see every prayer Every asking and every seeking and every knocking, you said it. You want us to understand it this way, that if you didn't spare your own son, then what are you keeping back from us? The answer is nothing. Nothing that we need. And God, you delight to give us yourself. You sing over us. You delight to give us gifts that blow our minds, not just socks. We believe that. We rehearse that. Would you fill us with faith as we come down here and celebrate and proclaim your death and resurrection? I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come up whenever you are ready.